After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mind Rolling Podcast with Raghu Marcus and David Silver. Hello. Uh, hello. Good morning. We're doing, doing this early in the morning because it's too hot where David is. So Yeah, it was hot. Now it's a little terrible. cooler now today, and we're very happy about that. Of course, if you're listening to this in the middle of December, this will be surreal. Why would? Oh, that's true. Yeah. People, well, people, I find that people listen to podcasts, you know, out of order and all kinds of things. And, and or they just discover us. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a, a good thing, really, because, I mean, why should you listen to them in order, really? There's no, you know, actually, one of our listeners uh, wrote, to us and said they love the podcast, tremendous enthusiasm, but they hate the music and said it sounded like two old men farting. That's our introductory music. Which is kind of a bad, because this we didn't make this music. This music is Krishnadas, actually. It's Krishnadas yep. uh, loaned us his, uh, you know, a uh, one of his songs, which we took a piece of. And it's a very hip thing, I thought. And thank God they weren't saying two old men farting for the whole podcast, which is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> really would have been depressing. Um, but, but I don't get it because it's very, you know, with with music at the beginning of a, a podcast or a show or a TV show, you can't have anything that's too sort of, you know, I don't know, too heavy duty because people get sick of it. This is very light. And I don't think it's like a, a, a small fart or a large fart. <laughs> I think it sounds like, uh, you Melodic. know. Melodic fart. Melodic and Christian death. Yeah. So for the person who wrote to us about that, we're sorry, but we're not going to change it. No. And uh, if other uh, other people have written and said, hey, can you let me know what that song is so I can get that? So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> do you want to have a vote? Okay, people can tell us whether or not. Yeah, tell us if you dislike it yeah. or if you like it. Yeah. Then we'll we'll do nothing. But at least no, not. that's not true. We listen hard. Yeah, I mean, if everybody said they thought it was horrible, we'd change it. Yeah. But that's going to happen. I yeah, think. no, absolutely. Now I have some uh, 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 some self interest. I well, want to present unusual. to you. That's <laughs> unusual. No, come on. Um, well, it ties into you know we. You know, again, we've been told by our mentors and Duncan Trussell, uh, most especially, you must. At the very beginning of the podcast, you've got to get right into it and talk about how you need some support, and which we do. 
and, uh, and we've had uh, David's gotten angry before, and that seemed to have worked quite well, actually. By the way, everybody, you know, a little anger, and so we're going to talk, by the way, about anger, and we're going to talk about self-interest, or what's called in Tibetan Buddhism self-cherishing, because we found this fantastic uh, article, a uh, commentary by His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and we're going to discuss. But before we discuss it, we're actually going to. Uh, show you our own uh, self-interest, but not anger. I think we'll leave David out of this today. Um, But I'm going to... This uh, is a book which I'm going to read a little passage of, and and the self-interest is, this is a book by my mom, who passed away last year. And uh, her name is Bela Marcus. And uh, We didn't do the Amazon thing, though. I'm doing it. No, no, I'm doing it. It's a little bit of a preamble here. It's available on Amazon. Yeah, just give me a chance. It is available on Amazon, okay? Um, And now, uh, what's interesting to me, but I just happened to pick this up, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, uh, just by chance, as David and I were talking about what we were going to talk about today, and um, I found this passage. Now, my mother... Uh, was interested in in our whole journey. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before that my whole family had uh, uh, were uh, had been to India and had uh, become uh, devotees of Nimkaroli Baba Maharaj. A very unusual family, including my mother. And her first foray into this was to come hang out with us in Queens, New York. And this was in the mid seventies. And um, she was, uh, just a little briefly, she was this very pragmatic, she was actually a Marxist. And when we came back from India, she looked askance at all of this hippie, Hindu, enlightenment, spirituality stuff. But um, just because she was curious, she came to the scene in New York, which uh, the, the, uh, the teacher at the time that we were hanging out with was named Joya, and uh, we have mentioned her on previous podcasts, uh, a very uh, charismatic figure. Uh, Ramdas had uh, a huge falling out with at that time. Uh, maybe we'll further investigate and talk about her. But she was very magnetic, very charismatic, and very profane at the same time in her teaching. And so my mother came to this thing, and she loved Joya because it was just, she she wasn't into, you know, new agey kind of uh, spirituality or anything like that. And so there was a lot of practical things like uh, that she got from Joya, like cleanliness is next to godliness. My mother loved that. So, or she would say, you have a really fucking dirty mind. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, she would, uh, you know virtually punish people and do all sorts of weird things, which uh, we won't get into. But this this particular uh, little passage from her book, uh, it's, it's great for, you know, I hadn't remembered, of course, I've read the book, but I didn't remember this particular thing. And it's about my mother's, uh, you know, here we are doing a podcast where I'm supposed, supposedly, you know, uh, uh, speaking in a in a very uh, flowing and uh, well understood, and with tons of elocution in that manner. So then I I uh, this is funny because my mother had a whole other view of me back then. So uh, 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 Joya says, "Listen to your son. 
and uh, she named my mother Brahmama. Do you remember that, Dave? Dave, Dave was around then, and of yes, course, yes. yeah. And uh, that's where we met. And uh, listen to your son. Everybody, listen. Raghu's going to tell you about a miracle. Go ahead, Raghu. Now uh, I got to tell you, I have no remembrance of whatever this dream or whatever happened. Um, Raghu stood up to speak. I never heard him speak out loud to a crowd. I hardly heard or ever heard him speak. He wasn't much of a talker. He always mumbled. I wondered what he had to say all of a sudden. A miracle? Yeah, he said he had a miracle happen to him last night. He talked for half an hour, only I didn't know what he said. He was in a forest? What forest? He went to bed like the rest of us. Maybe he woke up and went for a walk to Forest Hills, the other side of Queens. He met <laughs> Maharaji there in, in the forest, and all kinds of things happened to him there. All kinds of Hindu things. <laughs> he and Maharaji swam in holy waters. Gods came down from mountains and chased enemies away. I wish I did remember this, Jim Dave. And yeah. in the end, Raghu found enlightenment. Incredible. Half of it I couldn't hear. Because he was still mumbling, and the other half made no sense at all. No sense to me, anyway. All around me, I was hearing far out <laughs> in hushed tones. To me, he was more far away than far out. That's a great line. Yeah. <laughs> Later, I learned he had entered into a spiritual trance, samadhi. <laughs> when wow. it was all over, I got the kind of smiles you get when your son is class valedictorian. Being that I had left my straight life behind me, and being that I wasn't searching for meaning, I was quite happy to assume the role of celebrity mother. Such a big shot I became that I was soon elevated to a responsible position. <laughs> she, it's good, right? I mean, my this this whole book is funnier than shit. It's her. We memoir. have to add that um, she was a, a an eminent. Uh, teacher and scholar of, of the psyche and uh, whether we call her a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist and uh, you just didn't mess with her I mean she was wonderful and uh, extremely straight shooter thin. yeah oh yeah and and forensic just... psychology was her specialty and she wrote right. papers in in Montreal and and uh, was very prominent in that she was uh, brilliant yeah um, she helped a lot of uh, my friends out uh, in one way or another with therapy so yeah it, it was uh, so this book is really uh, uh, quite funny it starts with her growing up in Montreal and you get the whole scene of growing up Jewish in Montreal and back then what's and the title the, the title is the beautiful Bela the Beautiful, Bela Marcus, and so here's the self-interest. Go to Amazon. Not only should you bookmark Mind Rolling Podcast on Amazon, uh, Mind Rolling Podcast on your uh, on your uh, search bar, uh, and uh, then be able to just click it easily whenever you want to buy something on Amazon. So not only will you going to help us out and support us through that, but you also are going to get my mom's book, and uh, the family will get. A, f a few more shekels. So this is like a double, um, uh, you know, what's the Yiddish word for, um, you know, double good luck? I don't know. Emis, something like that. I've forgotten my Yiddish. But I really don't know. You, yeah, because you're really not that Jewish, Dave, okay? No, I'm not. But I, d I did, I do know Jewish words. I know, you know, 
Kvetch, and I know uh, Gesundheit. That's, it I know, I that's know. like Larry David. <laughs> He's written <laughs> that episode of Larry David, and he's trying to convince uh, the rabbi to get his friend Richard up the up the list to uh, to get a new kidney, right? And yes. then he goes to him and acts like he's a chassid, <laughs> like he's a religious Jew, and he, he keeps saying stuff like Gesundheit, Gesundheit, <laughs> like that he doesn't know anything. It was fantastic. Another thing, you can get that episode probably through Amazon as well, by the way. So please help us out. We need you to, we need this continued support. So, I mean, we're David's, Dave says we're into what episode 79. We're like over the year and a half, uh, line mark, you know, by the end of the, you know, even maybe more, I'm not even sure. No, but by next month we're in two years. Oh my God. Okay. We started in October, uh, 12th. Really? So it's been two years, and, and it does take a long time to build this stuff and so on. But just got a check from Amazon yesterday, and it was it was disappointing. Oh, but we're not gonna we're not gonna berate you... you with that. And oh, speaking of words, uh, I used the word bathos in the last um, podcast, and someone wrote to me and said that surely that word doesn't exist. Well, look it up. B a t h o s. That's all I have to say. We like to report on what people say because they say nice things, but they also sometimes say you guys are lunatic. Yeah. So, um, you know, we love you all. Um, you know, yeah, Bela was amazing, uh, amazing woman, beautiful woman, too. And uh, an example to me of a, uh, thank goodness now that I'm reaching that age, of an older person who um, just didn't see any need to. Uh, do anything other than be herself and she was extremely beautiful even in her 70s and uh, I'm one that believes that um, I'm very old-fashioned about this I think that uh, you know if you go with what you have and make the most of it it's probably worth it more than plastic surgery or Botox mm, yes. we know none of you do that of course yeah but uh, if you're tempted to just give yourself a good look in the mirror and say I'm beautiful this sounds like new age stuff I gotta stop yeah. New age. Dr. Phil is now in the body of Dave Dr. Silver. Phil. Yes. Uh, Phil is a provocateur. I watched his show twice. You did. He provokes people into being awful and then he yells at them, <laughs> which, is, you know, which is a bit much. We should He's a that. protege of Oprah, uh, you know. I, I know that, yeah. And uh, I find that that's probably the. Uh, the darkest mark on Oprah as she put produced right. Frankenstein over there. Um, no, that's, uh, he's nice. Um, he's a lovely fellow. Yes, he is. He's really lovely. Um, Dave, did you have something else in mind here? I can't remember now. You said, uh, well, um, we're going to talk about Holiness's um, wonderful treatise. And, um, I think we may have a little thing about depression later on, particularly if we get depressed during mm -hmm. the, podcast but um i know we were looking for weird stuff and which we always do because you know just to sort of laugh it up a little bit and uh, i found something yuck it up yeah i found something not that wonderful called 11 things you didn't know about the f word <laughs> okay and i'm only going to read one actually because i thought that it was very funny it says um uh one thing you don't know is where it comes from we don't know how it got to Britain, which is where the word sort of was used first. And it came from Scandinavia. Um, and um, there's a town in Austria which people go to as tourists uh, because the town is called Fucking. 
which, no. you know, I would change the name of the town if I were the Not man. at all. Not at but all. But people come from all over the world to stand next to the sign. Yeah, which, the only commerce they have is I'm going to fucking. That's yeah. it. I also read something on Facebook a couple of weeks ago which said the people who use curse words are usually nicer people. Now, where they got this from, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And I was brought up in my family to say, if you have to use a curse word, you don't have any vocabulary. And if you can't think of another word, don't use any words. Uh, it was kind of like people didn't swear in my house, which is sort of strange. Um, and I've become a swearer in my later life. Uh, but I'm trying to stop it because it's, it, it, it doesn't help on the whole. Uh, but, you know, that word... Um, still excites people into anger and, my goodness, how could you use that word on TV and all that. It seems kind of silly given the state of the planet that we should worry about a four-letter word. And, uh, you know, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I just want to know, is the, is yeah. the fucking our Austria, is, is, does that word mean in Austrian something else? I mean, what's uh, going well, on let there? Me, let me look at my source here. It says... For some reason, travelers who speak English take particular pleasure in arranging a day trip to a tiny village in Austria. When they arrive, they always take a selfie alongside the village sign. Some of them have even been known to dig the signs up and take them home. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Why? Because the village bears the unfortunate name of fucking. No, it doesn't tell you anything about it or why, what it means in, in German. Um, you know, God knows. I mean, it could mean anything. Um, we should investigate this. We'll, we'll we send one of our investigative reporters to uh, fucking it Austria. It us to the question of bad-mouthing, um, you know, which uh, is a, a, a really lame segue. <laughs> to into, His Holiness. <laughs> into His Holiness, who uh, we don't bad-mouth. Hey, and, oh, by the way, can I say something about... Uh, uh, this is... Um, his Holiness is going to be in New York. For those of you who are in New York or want to go to New York, uh, he's going to be there on the 3rd and 4th of November. Just, um, you know, if for those of you who haven't been with him, I mean, it is, even if the sometimes the teachings get rather arcane, Tibetan teachings, um, the presence, his presence is... Um, uh, is uh, Outstanding. I don't know what the right word. I mean, it's just it's darshan what what they in India call you know being in the presence of a um, revolutionary being, one who has gone beyond I, me, mine, and um, and his only interest is 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 compassion. He really is you know a, a representative of Avalokiteshvar, the Buddha of compassion. He really is that. So uh, it's at the uh, where it's at, uh, what's that place on the Upper West Side, Dave? I think it's uh, the Beacon. But the I'm Beacon, sure. that's true. That's it. I know I'm going. Um, okay. I, I got some tickets myself, so I would. Did you uh, Did you read the, the letter we got from, uh, or not the letter, the article about being a, I don't like the expression, but a white trash Buddhist? I saw um, that. Yeah, I haven't read the article, though. Did you? I read you? the whole thing, and it, it's really quite something, because what he talks about is is the fact that Buddhist retreats and other retreats are too expensive for him, and that he had, to, and, and he was told, oh, well, you know, you got to go to him or you'll never learn anything. And it was only later 
that he started to understand that uh, you could read books, you could do all kinds of things. There are online Buddhist schools that are free, and um, we'll try and uh, you know extend that information on the new website when we, we change our website, which we're doing, mm. to give more information that comes out of the podcast. But his point really was that he says, you know, Buddhism is an upper-middle-class American trend, and as great as it is and as good as it does for people, uh, many people can't afford... Uh, to go to retreats. And he doesn't say that's bad. The, the retreats are bad. He said they have to pay rent, they have to pay electricity, they have to do all that, so they have to charge people. He could never afford to do it. And it's an interesting article because it connects um, economic well-being or not well-being with the ability to connect with them, to, to learn from Buddhist teachers. And the good thing about the article is that he never once says, you know, that Buddhism, Buddhism itself propagates uh, financial gain, it's just a question of survival, and particularly these retreats that are not yeah. making tons of money. Yeah, well, but he does say that there are difficulties for people these days who have to work maybe at two jobs, uh, don't earn enough money to do much more than pay the rent and get food and pay for gas, and they just can't afford anything else. And um, we should uh, be aware of that. Well, it's uh, too, yeah, uh, and that's all absolute truth and uh, or relative truth, not absolute truth. Right. Uh, uh, whatsoever but uh, more relative truth is you know in the in the tibetan buddhist tradition there you there is a necessity for uh giving something for receiving the teachings so there is that tradition and there's that tradition i think in almost well certainly one the ones that i know of course in, in indian in the hindu tradition absolutely there is that tradition of giving, even if it's just a piece of fruit. So there is an you know exchange of giving and receiving that is going on in the relative world. And and the other thing is in terms of you know there's truth to the, I mean never mind having the money to be able to go afford to pay you know and these tickets with His Holiness are a couple of hundred bucks I think, uh, something in that realm. I mean they're not outrageous, uh, but they're definitely something. I mean they're nothing like going to see the Knicks. That's for sure. Uh, you know, how much that costs and how worthless that has been in the last few years. But that's a whole other subject. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, let's just take somebody with means who uh, never mind going and paying for retreats, which are expensive. But you can just, you know, have the time to actually just you could go into a room in your house and retreat there and sit and do reading and meditate, whatever. That's a luxury. Because, you know, just to be able to take that time indicates that you have the wherewithal to be able to do that. So there, there you know, um, in another sense, though, again, in the relative world, you know, there's the story of um, uh, Krishna and, and Sudama, who was a poor beggar, right, who used to go and just offer, you know, grains of rice uh and had no time, he was just working all the time to try and survive, and just the purity of that particular offering, and in as much time, you know, talk about time and space, that he had, eventually he was, um, you know, he he became in some, some realization through the purity of his offerings. So, you know, the relative uh, reality of uh, having the... Um, the wherewithal to either take the time or actually pay for a teaching uh, versus the reality of what karma and grace and all of that, um, where uh, someone just in one moment, 
offering purely can get what somebody who tries lifetimes of paying thousands, tens of, you know, thousands of dollars for, for teachings doesn't get to. So there, there's no, you know, there's a relative reality and then there's the absolute reality, which of course is beyond Yeah, us. I couldn't agree more. You know, and, and it's not good to be put off by statements that say that you necessarily need to do it one way or another. Everybody's quite different and, uh, I've read so many books that have helped me. I, I, I would be, you know, lying if I didn't say that books had been a, a channel for me to grow in many ways, hopefully, and also to learn about very esoteric as well as very practical things. And uh, books are a miracle. And, uh, you know, we should not forget them uh, and, and and do too much whining about we can't afford to go to a Vipassana or something. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, and, and but there are always ways uh, if you want to, you can work, exactly. uh, you know, uh, uh, certainly at the, the Buddhist place I, I went to uh, in New York a few years ago, you could work, you could you could be in the kitchen, you could do things like that. And they were never closed to, and this is a great Lama who teaches there, they were never closed to someone who, they would never say, okay, you can't come in. It's not like going to mm -hmm. see a movie, you don't have $15, you ain't coming in. It's very rarely like that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, but books, 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 books are great, you know. Um, um, let's, uh, let's move into this. Um, yeah, this so is this great. is commentary on the eight verses of thought transformation, which we could all use. Um, and uh, again, by His Holiness, the uh, Dalai Lama. Um, so uh, it explains the practice, uh, which is called paramitayana and its method and wisdom and the first seven verses deal with method uh loving kindness which is bodhicitta and the eighth deals with wis wisdom um and so the very first thing is is the thing that you and i talk about almost endlessly on these podcasts because um it's the thing that everybody faces day to day to day and um most particularly you and I, of course, uh, it's called self-cherishing. And I love that word. Um, and, and so he, let me just quote a little bit. There's two attitudes to consider. That of selfless, selfishly cherishing ourselves and that of cherishing others. Okay, two attitudes. The self-cherishing attitude makes us very uptight. We think we are extremely important and our basic desire is for ourselves to be happy and things to go well for us, yet we don't know how to bring this about. In fact, acting out of self-cherishing can never make us happy. And, you know, I, I guess in, in my own case, I find the most difficult thing I find in my life day to day after all of these decades of, of work uh, on spiritual work and blah, 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 is the, you know, you know, I have a, a health, healthily developed, I would say, witness. So um, the biggest thing for me is to see this self-cherishing going on moment to moment. And uh, in in some cases, I have not been able to stop the judging mind. We, we had that podcast last week about the inner judge, and, and I think that was really important stuff as well. And, you know, and I find that very, very uh, difficult uh, to see the transparency of this 
of this self-cherishing and self-interest. And, you know, it's just amazing how the ego works. And later in this thing, he talks about how the mind is very, the ego mind is very, very uh, clever and (laughs) hard to... Uh, you know, manipulate, uh, maneuver into transformation. Those who have the attitude of cherishing others, okay? So this is like a, an antidote, right? Those who have the attitude of cherishing others regard all other beings as much more important than themselves and value helping others above all else. Huge, huge hill that sounds like to climb, right? And well, it is. It and is. yeah, and acting in this way, incidentally, they themselves become very happy. Right? Very, you know, try and convince people of this. That would be difficult. For example, well, it's, it's really hard to yeah. to convince people if they don't have if they don't have that source in them at that moment. Uh, you, you know, you can say a million words, but it it may not work. And there are also confusions caused by modern uh, political and ideological movements. Uh, there's no, there's nothing wrong with self-empowerment. Um, you know, uh, racially, racial minorities and, and women and gays and so forth have fought for 40, 50 years now intensely about gaining uh, respect and equality, and rightfully so, of course. Uh, but that's self-empowerment. That's not being trodden upon and, and, and you know, having gaining a, a, or creating an atmosphere where everybody gets respect, that isn't self-cherishing, right? That's different. So if you're fighting for your rights uh, as a woman or a, a, a gay woman or gay man, uh, that's not self-cherishing. That's just simply saying, I want to be respected for who I am. Uh, whether everybody makes that distinction is is another question. Mm, that's a very good point. And, and uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, in terms of examples of, of what this is, I mean, it's just waking up, you know, in the morning and, you know, everything, our first thoughts are about how to satisfy ourselves. Right. Right? I mean, our very, you know, even if it's just relieving ourselves from, you know, going to the bathroom, um, it, you know, it's, it's as innocent as that. Uh, to the next step, which is our cup of coffee and, uh, you know, again, more self-satisfaction. That is only the case if you are tremendously attached to, you know, to that satisfaction, to, you know, what he's talking about here is the, the we are so attached to our self-happiness um, and gratification that it's at the expense of everything else that's around us, everyone else that's around us. Mm. Awareness goes away, you know, and and right. that's that is the key. It's not about, um, you know, uh, in terms of you know, you're talking about gay rights. You know, a person really asserting themselves to for their rights, or a person asserting themselves for their rights to you know what's going on now. For instance, uh, one thing I read in the paper was about. Uh, uh, minimum wage. You know, I think there's a bunch of people uh, out in California that uh, are going on, um, you know, are striking, you know, or are marching uh, for. That is not. That is not uh, the definition of self. That is something that is, you know, fighting for rights is not uh, define you as self, a self-cherishing, self-interest, self-centered person. So, 
Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. Uh, can right we can we make the same comment on the other end of that, which is uh, if a Hillary Clinton or a, a Rick Perry or a Rand Paul uh, spent millions, untold millions of dollars advertising themselves, is that self-cherishing or is that just a way to get themselves elected so they can do good for other people? Well, it's interesting because here His Holiness says, when talking about uh, self-cherishing and cherishing others, as an antidote to that. For example, politicians who are genuinely concerned with helping or serving other people are recorded in history with respect, while those who are constantly exploiting and doing terrible things to others go down as examples of bad people. So I don't think it matters how much money Hillary Clinton spends or Rick Perry uh, spends on on getting reelected. That's part of the game. Uh, I think it more matters, and you know, and that's what we thought about Obama. I mean, look what he did. There was tremendous money spent for him to get elected initially, and mm-hmm. we all thought this is a genuine good person who cares about other people and genuinely wants to do something about it. I think so. It's it's you know, and further into this. Uh, these commentaries, His Holiness talks about motivation, and I think that's really part and parcel to our whole attitude around, um, you know, self-cherishing. What is our motivation? So I think in, in relation yeah. to what you're talking about, I think that's the first thing we ask. Yeah, I saw um, on TV yesterday the woman uh, who was um, infected with Ebola um, in, in uh, Liberia or wherever they were. They were Christian missionaries, and... Um, a group that, you know, some of us are neutral about, some of us are not. Um, and she spoke for a long time, and I don't think she'd ever spoken in public before. And she spoke about getting the disease, how she got it, what happened, the process of it, and so forth. But her main thing all the way through was her absolute, um, you know, she was frightened because she got this terrible disease, but she was more she was more concerned about the hundreds of people outside her hut who are getting it that wouldn't get any mm. um, any care at all. And, and what, no matter what you think about evangelicals or whatever, uh, these doctors were helping people in desperate straits. And not only that, but they got the disease, and they should have died from it. They just were lucky to get some kind of new um, medication and, and great treatment in, at Emory um, Hospital. But when I was watching her, any kind of prejudices I had about being missionaries and converting the Africans to Jesus uh, disappeared because of her absolute clear and obvious purity. Uh, The woman had no guile. She just was talking about she had to help these people. And even at this point, where she'd been through a hell of her own, she more cared about how these people were being cared for or not cared for now that they were gone. And I was quite moved by this, actually. I was very moved by it. It brought tears to my eyes because she is a, a woman who's just given her life to help people who've got no money and no status in society and have, you know, got this awful disease. So that's not self-cherishing, right? That, even though she was forced to speak. She didn't want to talk, but the media, you know, forced her to talk about it. Um, no, but- this is a great example of somebody who, who, who's caring for others superseded her own self-interest whatsoever absolutely I mean, obviously you know there's a complicated thing you know uh as you we don't even need to get into i think we take it for face value you you really um 
heard the heart of this person. Um, yes. And I think that that says it all. Um, just moving forward a little bit. Sure. Um, our li- here's His Holiness. Again, this is, you know, we're spending a lot of time here on just the very tip of the iceberg of, of these commentaries. Um, he says, our life is not very long, a hundred years at most. If throughout its duration we try to be kind, warm-hearted, concerned for the welfare of others, and less selfish and angry, that will be wonderful, excellent. That really is the cause of happiness. If we are selfish, always putting ourselves first and others second, the actual result will be that we ourselves will finish up last. Mentally putting ourselves last and others first is the way to come out ahead. Okay, how about that? You know, it's kind of like a... a, It's the opposite of uh, Vince Lombardi, uh, but I think... Well, it's the opposite of, of what's conceived of as an American dream in some ways which is why some people can't sort of grok uh, His Holiness um, because he's constantly talking about this. But he is the Dalai Lama of compassion, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that's his central core. Yeah. And what he's trying to explain to us uh, is that there's nothing wrong with looking after your family and, and, and gaining some security and whatever, although there is no security in the in life in a way. You just it, It's not entirely in our hands. But... He's just Not trying to inculcate, inculcate into us in a friendly and lovely way that, you know, being a, a number one all the time and being after number one and the word exceptionalism, which is a word I take great exception to, uh, you know, when people use it to say we must have American exceptionalism. Are they talking about kindness to the world or are they talking about a better economic system than anyone else's and a bigger military? So hmm. His Holiness constantly reminds us in this miraculous way that we have this human being in this very difficult world we live in right now, um, that we have this person to remind us, and he has gained global respect. It's not like this is do- you're doing this in a vacuum. People all over the world know who he is and, and take note of what he espouses in the most delightful way. Uh, the only time I ever met His Holiness was at a private event some years ago, and just before I met him, uh, one of the monks said to me, Whatever you do, uh, don't shake hands with him. Just pranam, you know. And I thought, okay, that's perfectly normal and everything. So I had about 10 minutes in line. And and then when I got to him, uh, you know, being British and stupid, as soon as I met him, I put out my hand and shook hands with him. No, you didn't. And he shook my hand so... for I couldn't get his hand off my hand. He just (laughs) shook it and shook it and shook it. And then he touched my shoulder and laughed and smiled at me. And we had a nice couple of minutes together and then I moved on. So even he isn't self-cherishing enough to say, oh, you didn't shake my hand, you didn't pronoun, get away from me. You know, he didn't. No. He's just, he's just a bundle of, of, of empathy. And and you can see it just in his, the way he acts with everybody around him, um, with honors everything. So when you have somebody who's living what he's talking about, the words that he speaks are so powerful. Um, here's something he says. Some some Western psychologists say that we should not repress our anger, but express it, right? Right. Archetypical. That we should practice anger. However, we must make an important decision here between mental problems that should be expressed and those that should not. Sometimes you may be truly wronged, and it is right for you to express your grievance instead of letting it fester inside you. 
but you should not express it with anger. If you foster disturbing negative minds such as anger thoughts, they will become a part of your personality. This is so uh, so much truth. Each time you express anger, it becomes easier to express it again, and you become self-identified with it. And mm. I know that so well. I mean, mm. this is, talk about speaking right to me. You do it more and more until you are simply a furious person, completely <laughs> out of control. Thus, in terms of mental problems, there are certainly some that are properly expressed, but others that are not. And, uh, you know, and, you know, he talks about how cunning the mind is around all this stuff and very difficult. And, uh, you know, and read, you know, he talks about a book that, that he still practices according to a book that he studies day to day. It's called, uh, it's, it's the, uh, uh, a guide to the Bodhisattva, Bodhisattva way of life, Shanti Devas, which is a marvelous book. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, so what you've said about, you know, having access to, to knowledge and wisdom through books, this is in particular, he's saying this right right away. Well, the but, words, a great teacher. I, mean, I just want to quote something here, which I, yeah. I love. I've quoted this before, but I want to use his words, Raghu. He says, when we compare ourselves with animals, for instance, we might think, I have a human body, or I'm an ordained person, and feel much higher than them. From one point of view, we can say that we have human bodies and are practicing the Buddhist teachings, and they're thus much better than insects. But from another, we can say that insects are very innocent and free from guile, mm. whereas we often lie and misrepresent ourselves in devious ways in order to achieve our ends or better ourselves. From this point of view, we have to say they were much worse than insects, which just go about their business without pretending to be anything. This is one method of training in humility. Mm. How much wisdom is there there? I mean, you know, I just can't even express my gratitude to, these, to him for what he speaks of um, constantly and reminds us that we need to, we need what, you know, in, in, in Shakespeare's The Tempest, he invented the phrase, a sea change, a sea change. I'm not quite sure of the derivation, S-E-A change, uh, meaning just change, you know, uh, uh, take this seriously and uh, don't, re you know, don't reduce yourself to a punitive self-punishing guy like those guys running through the streets of Baghdad flailing themselves with nails that's not what he's after he's after a gradual honest realization by your own self-witness about where you're really at and trying to modify that um i mean ragu says he's an angry person but you didn't know him 30 years ago um and he's not nearly as angry as he was then and i you know nor me i mean i can get wildly angry about certain things um you know but it, it is important to gradually pay attention to that witness who you've been told about, then you realize you have that witness. It is who is looking at your own... I mean, who is looking at these tendencies and obsessions? That's the thing to get into. Who is looking? Mm. And when you realize that there is something looking, uh, you understand that that is bigger and better than this ego, uh, this ego dictator who guides much of our behavior. Yeah. Look yeah. at the world. If you're going to argue with this, ML, just look at the mm. world and how much division there is, yeah. how much it could be improved if some people, all of us, in fact, were... I don't want to preach. Stop preaching, Dave. That was a good preaching. I kind of liked it. Um, by the way, one, one real great thing to offer 
uh, with this stuff, uh, which uh, um, our friend and uh, mentor Ramdas has uh, been talking a lot about in the last couple of years, is the practice of loving awareness. And that allowed, because Dave is just speaking uh, very... Um, high wisdom stuff because it's from what perspective are you witnessing this stuff because the mind as his holiness says is very cunning and can take over almost everything um so i think the perspective and uh, ramdas's uh, whole thing lately has been about moving out of the perspective of mind ego into spiritual heart and and uh, witnessing from there, that's a huge difference, and it takes real practice and so on. You know what? We're this is a lot of levity, isn't it? Um, and I want I would I propose that we break it up because um, it's not it, much levity. I mean, it's, it's, oh, it's not levity. Okay, see, I had the wrong. You know, it, without you, I'm done. Well, it's early, and it's we're, we're it's doing this early, early yeah. in the day. It, Did you is, have your coffee? Did you have that? Uh, I yeah, I had my tea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, this is non-levity. Uh, too much non-levity. Um, but Dave, before um, actually in the last week or so, he's been turning me on. Uh, to some music, so I thought, why don't we have? You know, we are getting to a point where, uh, you know, we're we're way way into and close to the end of the podcast. But okay. I didn't want to. I I want us to have a little bit of uh, uh, levity now, right? And yeah. music is, uh, you know, the best way for that. And and the other thing is, Dave, this we've gotten to page two of eight pages of this commentary. Yeah. And I, I thought, know. why don't we, you know, and because it gets just a bit much, uh, you know, I think uh, I think we could break this up into some other podcasts. Right. Um, so because yes. um, the next thing he talks about is, you know, super important. It's all about motivation. So, uh, Dave, how, how do you feel about um uh, so Dave's been talking to me about uh, George Harrison, and yeah. um, and he. Uh, so I thought that perhaps um, we could uh, play a track uh, or two from. And this is what George's uh, brainwash last record. I think brainwash is his last record. I think it was two thousand and one or something like that. And I myself didn't really know this record in any real way, and it fell out of a drawer. Um, a few days ago, and I started listening to it. It's not not every song is equally great, but Raghu chose a couple that are quite beautiful and and uh, show the uh, the depth of George Harrison and how lucky we are to have had him as a a musical uh, you know Pied Piper. Somewhere. Yeah, and and listen, the words on this one is called Rising Sun. Uh, you guys can listen in particular. The words are pretty amazing. Um, you know, again, George was. Uh, uh, in a, he knew he, of course, uh, that he had a severe illness, and he was what we call on the edge of awakening. So uh, these were very relevant. So uh, let's just listen to this thing for uh, for a minute, or more than a minute. Taken for a ride You can have the devil as a guide Crippled by the boundaries Programmed into guilt Till your nervous system starts to tilt In the room of mirrors You 
word you've uttered And every thought you've had Is all inside your files The good and the bad But in the rising sun You can feel your life begin Universal play Inside
right. Excellent. Excellent song. Yeah, I love the line. Uh, and in the rising sun, you can feel your life begun. Universe at play inside your DNA. You're mm. a billion years old today. I mean, uh, you know, Ramdas speaks so eloquently about the whole universe being in within you, inside of you. And I think that's what George was beginning to feel as his yeah. uh, mortality became obvious to him. Yeah. You know, uh, one other thing, uh, it just occurred to me as I was listening, we, um, we actually did a podcast with our friend Duncan that's not out yet. Dave and I were talking about that. And uh, in part of that podcast, we uh, were talking about the Hare Krishna movement. And uh, it's uh, the guru of that was A.C. Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada. And, uh, you know, we, um, let's just put it this way. I feel like, you know, we had some judgmental stuff going on about it, uh, and uh, me in particular. And, um, and I have, uh, on the other hand, I said, and you know, jokingly, I had gone to this uh, Hare Krishna uh, convocation where they were singing, you know, what's called Maha Mantra, the Hare Krishna, Hare Ram Mantra, and how I was going to join them because I was so taken by their incredible uh the way that they did the the kirtan from such a pure place and with so much feeling um and so and i've had mixed feelings uh, about this dave just told me about he has some footage from from the the television show he did many years ago that shows him in uh the uh the temple uh and how in the Hare krishna temple i'm talking like when he, both he and I were getting into this, which is sixty nine seventy, a long time ago, and how you know he totally got into it, and I remember getting into it as well, and and I had respect, but then as the whole airport getting accosted in the airport thing, and then some really bad shit that went on with this big temple they built in Virginia, and we don't have to get into that. We certainly had a lot of judgmental stuff, some of it based on you know uh, on reality, but there was one guy who through it all, right, really had a pure relationship with the Hare Krishna people, with the movement, and with uh, the actual uh, efficacy of that mantra, and that was George Harrison. And, uh, you know, and I've always thought of him, whenever I I think of uh, disparaging stuff, how he was able to keep a certain respect, and, and then he made that incredible record right uh he made a record with them that that uh is i think hard to get it's something we you and i should try and figure out how we can get that and advise people to go up on amazon through mind rolling podcast and buy it um but uh he uh he expressed it as a celebrity pop star you know incredible musician he integrated that better than anybody and, for sure, yeah, and for I sure, just, and made some beautiful, you know, music out of it. I mean, his when he does uh, chants, which he does at the very end of this record, brainwashed, uh, they're so beautifully done, um, without any guile or any kind of pop star vibe on it. Obviously, he experienced, you know, so much in his life that most of us don't. Uh, adulation and all that comes with fame and glory. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the end of the day, 
his greatest album, I think everybody agrees, is is called All Things Must Pass. And I might say that from my in my little world, I, I that that album is one of the few albums from that era that I constantly listen to. I'm not a big nostalgia person. I don't listen to the Beatles and all that from those times usually. But when you hear All Things Must Pass and songs like Beware of Darkness and Isn't It a Pity, I I really recommend it for those that, that don't know that album. All Things Must Pass is just quite beautiful and very, very inspiring to me. So um, we're finishing on a George Harrison. Yeah. Harrison. Yeah. Harrison. Harrison. Uh, and, and here's some more self-interest. Dave produced, uh, a, and, you know, you won't have to take it from me, but from according to, you know, people who really know in the industry and in the music industry, um, he was part of and wrote uh, and directed the uh, the best Beatle doc that's out there. Okay, I mean it's it's self interest. It's uh, I'm on behalf of Dave uh, giving. <laughs> I'm self interesting for you. How about that? Because it is an incredible doc. Um, you go to YouTube. Uh, it's called the Complete Beatles. No, don't go to YouTube. Go to Amazon and buy well, the damn thing. Well, Come on. Uh, I have to say just to warn people that. They're rare now, and uh, really? I've seen them as they, they cost quite a bit if you go to Amazon, up to $500 for VHS or oh, DVD. Shit. So um, so few of us can really indulge in that. There are some less expensive ones, but um, it's all on YouTube in many parts. You the know. Complete Beatles. Let's talk. Let's give them the title. Okay. Complete Beatles, and it's in many parts on YouTube, but I'm happy to say that it's very well. It was a good copy. It's not degenerated, and the resolution's pretty good, and the sound is pretty good. You should get the rights back and produce wonderful DVDs. I mean, what in the heck? Yeah, I don't know they... why. I mean, Warner's bought it from MGM. We did it for MGM, and then United Artists, and then Warner's bought it in, in, in the 90s, and uh, I, I guess Warner's owns it now. Mm. But they haven't put it out for quite a while, and um, it does talk. Anybody out there who works for Warner, you know, uh, give us a buzz, and we... Uh, you know, maybe we can do something about it. But, uh, Dave, we're at the end of the uh, yeah. road of this uh, podcast, and I love this uh, uh, this commentary by His Holiness. Fantastic, and I want to continue that next week if we yeah. can, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, and at uh, you know, and continue to analyze our own self interest with mindrollingpodcast.com dot com, and making people go there and support us and donate. Uh, by the way, we've gotten some uh, donations recently uh, that have been really nice, and um, and buying our t shirts and and going to Audible if you want to listen. Oh, I must make this last commercial. Audible dot com. Go there and buy Ramdas's newest book, read by Rameshwar Das, his co-author. Polishing the Mirror, fantastic reading, and you can have it travel anywhere and have Ramesh, you know, who's a good friend of ours, uh, uh, have this delightful reading, Polishing. It's also out now in paperback. You can go to ramdas.org, and you'll find it all right there and be able to access it immediately. But go to audible.com, and you can get a, uh, you know, a, a free one-month uh, subscription that you can cancel and you can get a bunch of books and then once you do that we get uh, again some more shekels of support so uh, yeah. another by the way more Ra self-interest we should mention that uh, we'll put on the website and on Facebook and so forth the link to this commentary on the eight verses of thought oh, yeah, absolutely it's actually Lama Yeshe 
wisdom archive but uh-huh. uh, okay. if you go to lama yeshe y-e-s-h-e put it yeah fun, get it up we'll, there and uh we'll publish it yeah absolutely thank you uh for today i um yeah i just loved it i love you know really investigating our um particularly you know these themes which are so important and hopefully can help us all transform a little bit so uh see you next week dave yeah yeah ciao Bye-bye.